This is episode 74 of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. It is March. It's madness. And if you hear chewing in the background, it's Kari because she is trying to stuff down an apple before we get into the show. It's been a long afternoon. She's recertified her CPR today and squeezing in a snack before we join you. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you back. And before we get into today's topic, I want to quickly bring up that later in the month is the exercise nutrition seminar being hosted at the University of Western Ontario by the Dr. Peter Lemon. And incredible guests will be speaking, including Kari, but John Berardi, uh, Graham Thomas, and other speakers. Kari, tell us all about it in the event, why people should go. Well, thank you. Um, this symposium is pretty cool because it's, it's almost like this, uh, this gem, this hidden gem that happens every year. And Dr. Peter Lemon he puts it on as a fundraiser for the Western women's softball team that he's coached for a very long time. And so he puts this, uh, this symposium on, but what people get to hear is uh, the latest research, some really uh, up-to-date topics, some incredible speakers, people that are very passionate about exercise and nutrition. And so this, this symposium ends up being pretty, it, it's kind of, it's not a huge event, pretty small, inexpensive, and massive, massive value. So, sure. um, so yeah, if you can make it out, if you're local in the London or surrounding areas, it'll, it'll be really cheap, it'll go to a good cause, and you will get information that'll be so cutting edge that, that people won't even know about this current research yet, you'll be, you'll be right there plus it'll be high quality stuff that'll help you in whatever field you're in that's that's uh, health and nutrition related yeah i remember hearing about intermittent fasting for the first time at that event i feel like years it was a, de- a ago. decade ago yeah, yeah years maybe ago more. before and anybody knew yeah. that that was a thing and then yeah. lo and behold that's the first time i learned a bit about it and yeah uh, so that just gives you a, a real quick taste of something no pun intended talking about food of what yeah you can glean from that event and again so march 28th yeah march 28th and, and university uh, of western ontario Dr. yeah peter lemon and i think if you look on there's a website link for it we'll try and put it in the show notes when i say we i'm referring to you because i won't be doing that part of it but right. <laughs> got it say, thanks honey <laughs> all right well let's get into today's topic yeah and before we went live here, we were just saying how much has changed for us in one month. And that sparked us to want to talk about change and for you to potentially share, if you will, a story that a lot of listeners might not know about how Empower Conditioning originally came about, the gym. And we want to talk about change and risk and risk and reward and those types of things. And we figured that that story as a, as a great way to do it. It's a, it's got all the elements required. Yeah. And so why don't you, you take know, us back in time or well, go oh, ahead. But. Gosh, seems like so long ago. 
and and pipe in with your perspective of things because you you have different perspectives along the way for this particular topic because when the gym started we weren't together and then you know you've seen all kinds of evolution through right. this through this path so um back in gosh this would have been around 2005 um we when i say we uh, the women's, or well, the men's national volleyball team, the women's national volleyball team, and among other athletes were preparing for qualifications for the 2008 Olympics. And so around that time, it, within that quad between 2004 and 2008, um, we were in Winnipeg, and that's where the, the Canadian Sport Institute Manitoba was, and all these athletes were, who were centered there were prepping um, for upcoming qualifiers, but what had happened was we were training out of this high performance the kind of room. Infamous. Okay. Infamous it, grotto. <laughs> right. It was called the gritty grotto. And if people know anything about university of Manitoba back at this time in this in early two thousands and prior, it was a like literally dirt on the side and this, this gym was in the basement. There's this big track around the, the main fitness area. And then was what we had parking done, garage, an underground uh, parking I, garage. I think probably, I think it was actually. And then yeah. we had built, we had uh, infrastructure money from the sport Institute and the university, but mostly the sport Institute and sport Canada to build a high performance center. Well, that was built in the very middle of this, gritty grotto gym and it had a code lock on it so this is where the high performance center i'm doing air quotes right now was in in the center of the gritty grotto so it it when you went in there it had a little bit of a feel of a higher performance area you know we had our platforms we had some nice equipment but it was a room and it was and and only the only people who had access to it were the Manitoba Weightlifting Association, so any any of the Olympic lifters, the um, Bison athletes, so any of the the University of Manitoba Bison athletes, and then the Canadian Sport Institute. And we had to have a schedule to make sure that we weren't overlapping um, when one of those entities had a specific team booking and that kind of thing, because it was it was literally a room. It was probably about 44,000 square feet, that room. And you had to have the right code to get in and how to have the right booking and all that stuff. And that's where we were training. Except what happened was, you know, we're on a floodplain in Manitoba. It's very flat. And there was, some major, <laughs> there was a basement with dirt. There's no actually poured concrete or anything. And, uh, and a major flood had happened. And so all the Canadian Sport Institute athletes, we were out of a place to train. Nobody could go down there. Like it smelled like mold in the whole building, let alone the, the basement. Nobody was even allowed. It was condemned. Mm -mm -mm. And uh, so your team, so you guys and the women's team. And so we were trying to move everybody around. And uh, we ended up training out of Lipset Hall, which was yep. a closed down. And it was probably condemned as well. It was a closed down military base, military hall. And there was a little gym in there. Well, there was a, like a gymnasium, so you guys could practice there. But then there was this also this old fitness facility with the crappiest old 
you know, universal machines, like your leg press and stuff like that. Like we didn't even have, we didn't have Olympic lifting platforms. We didn't even have. So it sucked. It sucked. It was horrible. So what did you do about it? Anyway, I know I'm kind of dramatizing it, but it's true. Like it was, it was bad. It sucked everywhere. It was either moldy and wet and dirty, or we were in an old decrepit building. So working, I was, I was salaried at the sport Institute and I knew that I knew there was money designated for infrastructure. What that meant is that this government money that was given to the sport Institute could only, it couldn't go for service of athletes. It could only go toward local infrastructure to build something that served the community and the athletes. So I knew that I knew there was money designated for that. And, um, so I had this bright idea that I would open my own gym and I would see if the sport Institute would partner with me or sport Manitoba would partner with me or any of those entities. And, uh, and so, and you got to think at this time, I'm a single mom. My daughter was five at the time, four or five at the time. And, um, and I went and asked them and I had a whole proposal. I made a business plan. I did all the things and, and they just said, no, like they just, I think they thought I was crazy. Um, and at the same time, the sport Institute was looking around for viable places to train because we had an Olympic qualifier coming up and we, the athletes didn't have anywhere good to train. And it was driving me crazy because it was so, it was so low end wherever we were piecemealing our training together, whether it was lip, lips at hall or waiting for fixing to be done in the grotto or whatever. It was still, no matter where we looked, it was still going to be a really poor option. <clears throat> so I kept trying to partner with people. Everybody said no. And so I went and started looking at what I would have to do if I were to open my own gym. And I started looking at business loans and looking at different spaces and looking back now, like I think of the insanity of this, like I, I, I think I was crazy at the time, but I was well, so... Well, let's, let's stop for a second. So you, you see the need for change. Obviously, infrastructure Shoot. sucks and it's directly affecting you, the work you can do and the people that you care about. Mm-hmm. So you've got your motivation there, but... You also mentioned that you're a single mom with a, a four-year-old. And mm-hmm. you have to, so how did you reconcile the conflict of, of risk here? So of going after this, how, how do you, how, what do you, you say you to know, yourself to even explore it? To say, I've got to do, I, was, a single mom, have to do this, even though money's been allocated for it by the government and no one's taking action, but... I have to take this risk. What You know what? There wasn't there wasn't that kind of thinking. Like I I was so passionate about the work that these athletes were putting in and and getting these athletes to a qualifier and qualifying for the Olympics. Like this is this is what we did. Like we just it was eating, breathing, living, sleeping, dreaming about this 24/7. This was my life and So when I was thinking about the risk, I didn't, I didn't think about the risk. I didn't think about the risk for like the way I thought about it was that, okay, whatever I choose to do, I need to make it work. 
that that was the way I thought. Whatever I choose to do, I need to make it work. And and you knowing me, that's that's one of my favorite lines from Apollo thirteen is when Ed Harris is talking to the team, and they've got they've extrapolated how far the the pod can get back towards Earth, and it's short by like a day, and they're going to run out of <laughs> oxygen. He's like, I need this line to go from here all the way around here and he's going around earth yeah <laughs> by the end of the day today failure is not an option he literally said i just love that scene and the way you're talking right now you got the same attitude that's exactly what it was and you've you've now that we've been together for over a decade you've seen me in this mode many a time where it's just like nothing nothing will stop me like i will I will fall apart before I let this thing fail. Like it's like, I just can't stand that option or, or even entertain it. And so I wasn't thinking that way about risk at all, but what ended up happening was um, I started looking at business loans and looking at spaces and I'd spend, you know, all my, any spare moment I would spend either reading business books cause I didn't have training in reading or not reading, but business. <laughs> I hope I knew how to read by that point. And I literally was entertained. Like what happened at first is I was thinking about going to medical school um, or starting my own business. And I was so passionate about these athletes. And I thought that if I did my own business, I had this naive thought that, that I could, that would be a better option for time with my daughter and being able to care for my daughter. Um, somehow I thought that I rationalized that, that pathway. So I chose business instead of, instead of going to, uh, applying for medical school. And, uh, and I, started looking at business loans and the interest rates were astronomical and I owned my own home at the time and I'm looking at this just going like I don't want to be in debt forever and trying to make a living and run a business and all these things and I'm making like I was going step by step making my business plan I had a friend of mine who was a banker who basically said you have to apply for a small business loan and do this and do that and you know, maybe even apply for a grant because you're female. And, and anyway, I didn't even get a, I didn't get a grant. I ended up using a line of credit through my home. So I put my home on the line and I took out as much money as I could from my mortgage and my home line of credit. And I started, and I, you know, i had already had these relationships with gym equipment people because I had built the, that high performance room in the university. So I already had all these equipment relationships and these guys helped me out and just said, okay, you know, we'll give you a good rate and, and lease to own. So I leased to own all my equipment and I went through this process of several months of getting the space and doing the business plan and getting the home line and getting the space and getting a lot of other strength coaches in the city who you know, I'd worked together with or contracted for the sport Institute and stuff. And they helped me out with various things and getting things like the flooring in or, or the wall. And, and there were some key people who were working with me at the time, Blake Wood and, you know, uh, Richard Burr was a different strength coach who had his own gym. And these guys were helping me out because we all kind of came together as a community. They saw what my vision was. And I had this almost 6,000 square foot warehouse space 
that was wide open and I built a custom office with a window so my daughter could be there with me when I was there. And I built a, a, a treatment area and another office space and a front desk area and this massive wide open with four platforms and all the free space for, for movement work we needed and dumbbells and pulleys and you name it. And, um, <clears throat> and it was scary, like crazy. So, and so, yeah. So now, now you're finally, it's the first time that you've mentioned something of fear or real recognition of the risk and that what you're in for there. Was it the, did the confidence to, to sign on the dotted line to get that lease for the, the gym space and go ahead and make the move, was that the scariest moment or was it having, was it not that bad knowing that you'd worked through the numbers that you'd forecast and estimated, you know, different potential revenue streams and what needed to happen for a break even or for to get slightly ahead. But how did you, you know, deal with those emotions and the, the stress of it? You know what it was? Um, I just want to back up for just a second on the fear part, because in order to start this business, I was leaving my salaried position at the Canadian sport Institute and this is a position where I had, you know, I had benefits and I had, um, you know, money gets set aside for retirement. Like it's, it's a, it's salaried. It's, it's, um, it's got some security to it. And that felt good when I, you know, being a mom and being a single mom and my daughter's dad wasn't even in the city. So I was, and I didn't have parents in the city. So it was all me all the time. There was no other kind of support system that was family. So I didn't have people to hang with my daughter and, and having a salaried position felt good because if she was sick or needed medication or things like that, like I had, I had coverage. And I think one of the scariest things was leaving that salaried position because I was stepping away from that. But the, the worst part was that I was doing all of this for these athletes so that they would have a place to train and I had to, I had to be able to open it up to the general public as well. And my, my mission was that if, that, that if I was training this excellence in sport and this, this high performance athletes, that that would inspire activity and excellence in others. So <clears throat> I, I knew I would be drawing people who wanted to train like a high performance athlete. That's mm -hmm. what I thought. But the assumption was that I would still be able to train these high performance athletes. But how was that going to happen if I'm leaving the sport Institute, I'm leaving the job of strength and conditioning manager at the sport Institute <clears throat> and the manager there at the time, I was the only one of the original staff left because everyone else had left when this new manager came on. They just weren't happy with his style of leading and the performance. And so everybody had left like the, the main athletic therapist, the marketing person that like it, the turnover was full and complete with all the key staff there. I was the last one. And the reason I was the last one and I hadn't left because I was the only one out of all those people who didn't have a second salary to back them up if they wanted to leave that job and go to another job. So it was my only, it was my bread and butter, my only income. So when I left that salary position, stepping into the abyss of your own <laughs> business and you don't have business coming in. But, I, but the reason I did it was for all these athletes. What happened was this, 
like it, it was the thing that was almost um, it was amazing. It was it was the demonstration of belief, and all of us have this huge belief in going toward the Olympics and training for the Olympics. But what happened was each of the coaches I worked with, when that manager at the Sport Institute was like, "Well, she's leaving. Let's find another strength coach." The swim coach, the triathlon coach, the men's national volleyball team coach, the women's national volleyball team coach, they all had my back hardcore. And they basically said to the manager, they said, no, we want her. She's the one that has been working with our athletes. She's the one that's consistent. She knows what's going on. And we want her to continue to train them like she has mm -hmm. for the last many years since like 2001. And, uh, and so they, they subcontracted me and I left my salaried position. I didn't have the benefits or anything like that anymore, but I did have the contracts to work at the, with those teams right. and they came to my space to work in my gym. And then I also had some other clients that would start to trickle in as well, but it was this massive learning curve of business that, you know, there were these times where, you know, I knew I needed to have business coming in because the, the contracts from the Sport Institute weren't, weren't enough for this big 6,000 square foot space. And I knew I needed other business as well. And plus I had other employee or people I was subcontracting and paying to work with me. And I'm like, I'd hear the crickets chirping. Like I'm, I'm wondering, okay, when is more business to come in? I, did, I had no idea how to market. I didn't have time to market because I was still training all these athletes and teams like I had a full roster of teams and some private clients and it was it was insane and uh I would bring my daughter there and and anyway like I just I remember there was a moment where I had this vision I had this vision of what it would look like when it was complete and what it would look like when the athletes were in there and they had a better training space than they'd had in the entire time that I'd been there anyway and for years and I had this vision of what it would look like when they were all in my training space and when it was all going well. And then I remember the day, cl clear as day, what it looked like when they were all there. And there was this, you know, fluid training day happening and this high performance environment. And it was unbelievable because I was looking around going, oh my gosh, it's like deja vu. This is what I, this is what I envisioned. This is the thing. Right. This is it right here. And it was incredible. I, it was incredible. Just to, I remember that day I was looking around going like, and I had this, th this thought from this, that movie field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come. And it's yeah. like, it, it's like it had happened and it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty wild. It's literally from the grotto into the abyss <clears throat> to use your words. And from the abyss, and power conditioning was born. And it's, a, it's amazing to have witnessed and be now in the position we are today, looking back on everything that's happened with it. And incredible to hear where it really came from that I don't think anyone who ever walked into the, your gym would realize that you put it all together by yourself. It just wouldn't seem quite possible because it was so much better than anywhere else we're training it was you know if you picture the the crossfit boxes of today and the wide open gym style lots of room for functional training and for dynamic work and things like that that just didn't exist then but you were you know a decade ahead of that that trend in the style of this facility and and it was just 
it was awesome. And you've got big guys in there. I mean, I'm either there in the team, there's be 16 of us at least. And there's all kinds of room. There's four Olympic lifting platforms. I mean, you're yelling across the gym. There's a great stereo system. It was just, it was awesome. And then one cool thing that people should envision when they're picking this space, it's, it's wide open, super high ceilings. You had a climbing wall on one wall that was about 20 feet high and two massive warehouse garage doors at the end that could be opened up. And when the weather was good, those were open. You could roll out into the parking area at the back of the building, which was always dead quiet. So it was just this free, enormous space. It was just really amazing. And that those doors were West facing so that you get the sun on the back half of the day. And it was just, it was really incredible what you put together. Now, now when, when was the, the toughest time? When was, was there a point early on where you thought, holy shit, I'm over my head here. This isn't going to work. Or was there a moment like that? Um, There wasn't, a lot of that it was more logistics because so much always had to be done and I was I was exhausted a lot of the time um but just so you know driven and what what needed to happen for the people I was working with and then uh so we opened just at the end of 2005 beginning of 2006 and and uh worked really hard and it, yeah it was, it was it was a bizarre story but um it ended up so that that person, that manager at the Sport Institute, was ended up having to put a bid in to keep the volleyball teams in Winnipeg, and uh, because the volleyball teams, other other cities in the country were putting bids in so that they would centralize in a different place instead of mm-hmm. Winnipeg, and Winnipeg had the bid for so long. And what happens with that is that to prove that you're worthy of a bid and for a team to stay for a national level team to stay in your city, you have to show what facilities you have and your infrastructure and all this stuff. And that very manager was like going, taking photos and touring people through my facility without asking me as though it was theirs for, for uh, this mm-hmm. bid and it was unreal. But anyway, the bid ended up going to Gatineau. So the men's team ended up leaving and, and then after, and then you and I ended up moving, I ended up moving to Turkey cause you had a contract there. So I had one of my managers run, um, run the gym remotely, which is very hard. And then I ended up subcontracting the facility for a while. But one of the scariest things I think from that aspect was once I wasn't there and I had someone else running the gym and I had some of the people I employed working with my clients and I had cameras in the gym and all this stuff, it, it was just really hard to be away when you're running a business. And I didn't have the skill set or the understanding of how to be a business owner versus an operator. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just like, and then at the same time, trying to, the, the, the least, my goal was always to lease for the first five years and then be able to buy and um, buy a facility instead of leasing. And what happened with my lease space is that a company bought out the company that I leased from. And when that, yeah, the, got, own, the owners of the facility yeah, they, where you were leasing were bought out. Yeah. When they got bought out, they, um, they jacked up 
they they couldn't jack up the lease amount, but they jacked up every other fee that was involved. So I ended up paying almost double from what I originally paid. So it was just so hard to um, even break even and make money and that kind of thing. But I was really, really proud that despite some some things not going well, that I I did break even and I never went into debt and I, I owned my equipment. I paid off all my equipment and I paid my lease. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't even ever borrow any money from anyone else. Not another soul other than myself. Did I borrow money from for that whole lease term? Like I, and I, I, in looking back on that, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's like, I just, in my mind, I didn't see any other option. Like I couldn't even have imagined borrowing money from someone other than creating it myself. And, uh, you know, and at, at the end of that lease, I own my equipment. Um, we, when we came back from Turkey, we were moving the gym to London, Ontario, and we, we pooled some of your savings, the sale of my house, some of my savings, and we pooled all that together in order to reopen, actually buy a building in London and reopen the gym um, here in London. And, and the crazy thing, you, you'd said earlier that, you know, what does it feel like to do all that by yourself? And, and I guess from a financial standpoint, I did. But from a community standpoint, what I didn't realize until we went to London is that, like I said, those coaches had my back. All those other strength coaches, the people who worked for me, and then there were the people in the community who knew my work and believed in me. So I always had people coming to me for, for my, what I could offer, my expertise, my training, my mm -hmm. exercise physiology, biomechanics, all of those things. So Yeah, you're, was, you're the real was, community. Real community I, it was. In and from being in, in Winnipeg for so long. And then when we came here, um, we were excited to buy a building and have this great space, which was smaller but the feeling of being able to own a building was huge. And when we bought that, it was like, okay, you know, now we're not leasing with someone else. We're actually owning. And that feels really good as a long-term investment. And, but again, scary because that first year of us opening the, the reopening in power here in London, we didn't have other income. We didn't, we basically put all our eggs in that basket. The first mm -hmm. year we made $10,000 because so much was going into just getting it up and running. And, and then we had all the kids together. Like it was so, that was, that was scarier to me than any of the time I did it on my own um, with just me and Raina because, but it was scarier to me because the bills were higher. And then I realized that I knew nobody in London. So even if, there wasn't that feeling of, okay, business is going to come. It was like, holy cow, how are we going to make this happen? And then, and then for us, the stress on our relationship, it was like we were turning into people we didn't quite know each other as well because, and we just had a baby, like the baby and all the kids and not knowing anybody in London, like that was greater stress and greater, yeah. I guess, that was harder on me than it was when I was, a single mom opening the business by myself because it was like I didn't have these other factors and so the factors of more kids of stress on our relationship a new baby a city that I didn't know anybody it's like I that was that was hard that was really really hard yeah from a reputation standpoint you're at ground zero starting over rebuilding a name that 
nobody knows yet and yeah having well, to you... the, the education process that we continually went through for the first few years of just trying to explain to people one at a time why what you're doing is different and why it matters it was and you know what else yeah, was, was hard you know what else was hard from an ego standpoint there was two things that were so tough from an ego standpoint i know Number, what one is <laughs> well one of them was that there's not a lot of national level athletes in London. Like I was working with some of the national development rowers and I would get the handful of pro hockey players and I get, you know, some national rugby or diving or ho women's hockey. I worked a lot of women's hockey as well, but, but it was really hard because I, that's what my reputation was, was high performance international level athletes. And now the majority of the athletes in the gym were, were club athletes and there was only a small handful of the high performance athletes. So I had to, that was tough on my ego. And then the other thing that was so hard on my ego was that whenever we were, like you said, explaining to people how we were different or what we were doing and stuff like that, people automatically assumed that you were the expert automatically assumed that you started the gym automatically assumed <laughs> yep. that it was you. And I just had to sit there and bite my tongue. And I was like, I, it was, and it would just happen all the time. Like every single interaction, if it was you and I together, it would be you, they'd be turning to. And I'd just be like, Holy crap. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm only one of, you know, very few people in the world who can do the things that, I do. And it, it just, you're fighting was, the built-in biases that people have and the, exactly. the assumptions that are being made. Exactly. And, yep. Yep. and so, you know, all that's good. Now I look back on that and I, I just see how imperative it was for my own growth and humility and just understanding that because my, my identity and ego were so tied to me being a strength coach and me being yeah. a high performance strength coach that really being able to let all that go in some capacity allows me to be more grounded in me just as a human, not, not as my identity as a strength coach, just like yours right. as an athlete. So, but, um, but anyway, we, we've had an amazing, amazing gym facility in, in London. We eventually wanted to grow more with some key staff that we had and when I say we, by after the first couple of years, you kind of transitioned out. It was mostly me. Um, but yeah, it was definitely your show. When you say we, you're just talking about empower. But uh, yeah, I like, definitely stepped back into the background and was doing it, my own thing. We kind of thought it would light you up and you'd step into it. And once you kind of got into it, it wasn't your jam. So you you kind of stepped back from it. So it was when I say we, yeah, you're right. It was me and you know, there's so many amazing people, Steph Reed, Jeff Watson, Lindsay Desjardins, um, just Andrew, Seb, like just incredible, Craig, incredible, Craig yeah, yep. incredible human beings who worked there. But what I wasn't accustomed to like Winnipeg, and this was a really hard thing from a business standpoint is in Winnipeg, when you're in Manitoba, there's no better place to go than Winnipeg. So I didn't have a single person leave at any time you know, in the sport Institute or, or the gym that like, it's not like people were going somewhere else. Um, so there was no turnover. Whereas here people would be moving to another little city nearby, or they'd be, you know, going to do like Craig went to do his, uh, his medical degree and, 
Steph went across the world to go and do her PhD and, you know, um, Jeff wanted to move closer to back home, which is a city a few hours away. And same thing with Andrew. So it's like, there's so many places to go other than London around here. There was, there was more turnover than I Mm -hmm. ever had. And it was one of those things where you just go, how it's so hard from a human resources standpoint to keep a business going. And I was feeling like I was a manager so much of the time when what I love to do is coach, like just love to coach. And I, I wasn't spending as much of my time coaching. And then I was burnt out when I was trying to coach more because I couldn't do all of the things and what I needed was a business manager, but I didn't, I, I couldn't see that at the time because I was so overwhelmed with family and business and working and all of that. But anyway, long story short, when, uh, when a couple of key people were moving on to a master's degree and moving back to a hometown, they were so important to me. And I really, I really believed in them so much and could see the future of the gym moving with them that I chose to start to really scale down on the in the gym portion of Empower Conditioning. And that's when we began to kind of partner with and help just uh, help launch a new business, which wasn't ours. It was another entity with three amazing guys um, with movement strength. And so they started started their business. I referred some of our clients over to them and they began a really robust community business um, leasing out of, out of our gym while I still worked with some of my clients and teams and athletes and scaled down though a lot on the, well, the, in the gym portion of the, of the business. And that's the listeners know is motivated by your desire to reach more people in a broader medium and different channels. And that you knew that, seeing people one-on-one on the gym floor in small groups couldn't do it yeah you're capped and that you just couldn't can't grow yeah. exponentially to have a larger impact and so that was driving a lot of these decisions as well and getting back to the kind of topic of the show of change and risk those are the influences now that we're coming play that you talked about the turnover of staff the lack of somebody stepping up into that position of being a business partner to help you really drive gym growth you started to have that desire for change and to alter how you're going to be reaching more people faster. And so that is the catalyst to where you're going now. Yeah. And you know, that feeling I described about the need to help more athletes get to the Olympics back when I first opened the gym, that's the exact same feeling I have right now where I love, 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 love being in person coaching athletes or clients like that just lights me up like crazy. But I love it so much that I can't be satisfied with seeing the same, say, 30 people in a week with, with very little change. And in, in maybe seasonally, it changes some of who those 30 people are. But mm-hmm. I want to be able to help more people and on a deeper level than just a workout training session. And that's why I've worked so hard to expand my coaching abilities and So now this is the crazy stuff that over the past several months, we've gone through a lot of changes and we have, we've actually, and it's just becoming official, we've actually sold the building and we'll still be in there from a gym capacity for several more months. But after that, it's way more, and we'll have our own little 
we'll have our own spot to either work with clients or some athletes out of our, out of our garage. Cause we're moving and building a, a gym, a garage gym, but, um, but it's expanding the empower conditioning brand into not only the podcast, but we've been doing we, this will on Monday. It'll be, I think our third corporate workshop where we're working on vitality and mindset so not the blah of mental health, but the actual high performance side of mindset mm-hmm. and expanding into not only peak performance coaching that's more around business and life coaching as well as the physical, but also retreats like destination retreats. So there's just, it's this expansion in a completely more to come. scary <laughs> new realm, but crazy to think like, about selling the gym space, which I, I honestly, when I, when we began the gym here in London, I anticipated our kids taking it over in the long run. And you just, you know, you can't predict who your kids are going to become and what they want in life. And, and it just, it, it, it's interesting to see how everything has evolved. And this feels scary, but like, so like the right thing. And so freaking excited because we're expanding in so many great, amazing areas and not only continuing to help athletes and, and corporate clients, but going deeper and going broader and being able to do it in ways that are much more impactful than only coming from a workout in the gym. So we've got online training. We've got so many things. It's awesome. And it's really, you've replicated the key components of the decision to start empower in the first place where you've number one, you've got the vision and you've got uh, just a, a picture of how the world could be different if you change your path and what impact you can have. So that's the, the fuel and the motivator. And then you've done the research and you looked at the numbers and figured out different ways you can reach people assess and what that change, that impact it would have on all the different aspects of your life too. That's something that needs to be considered of, if you make this change that you're talking about with the business, how does that impact our relationship, our time together? How does it impact finances? How does it impact you and your time and, and all those different things that need to be considered to, to make the right decision. And it's, you, you there's know so much the, there. One of the scariest things right now is that one, a dream I've had for 20 years, I saw, I opened a journal the other day and I read what was in it and it was from 1999 And what my vision was in 1999 was taking my dad's fishing camp and uh, renovating it and rehabbing it and making it a space for really incredible retreats or or training or exercise work or um, corporate retreats. and, and, And now... You know, the scary thing is, is that, okay, we, we can now reinvest in, in doing that perhaps. And it's, it's scary because I don't know where my dad's readiness is for that, even though he's asked for it for years. And then all of a sudden when it comes time to do it, it's like, Oh, I don't think so. Or, or no, only if it's like this or, so now it's like, I have this dream, I'm ready to act on it. And um, it may, may or may not happen, but that's, that's the other area where we really want to expand to is this gorgeous remote, um, 
isolated fishing camp in northwestern Ontario and turning it into this just incredible retreat site and it's got a lodge and log cabins and yeah there's a huge dream there but it's scary the the biggest fear I think for me is just not being able to realize it and having the patience to have it go through the way it needs to go through and prioritize with the relationships involved meaning you and I and my dad and making sure it works well so that we can really have the impact on a broader level and, and give back to, there's so many exciting things coming up that we're working on. Super cool. Super cool. So super fly. So that's amazing. That is the birth and continual evolution of empower conditioning in 40 minutes. You have it right there. Uh, is there any last things you want to add about the journey before I ask you a question from the book of questions to wrap things up today? No, I like, thank you for guiding me through that a little bit. Like in, it feels so reminiscent, just sharing a lot of that. And, um, it's exciting to, to share it. So, and for those of you out there who are in sport or in business or all of this, all that I described is about, is about, seeing what you really want and even though it's scary going for it taking the risk and going for it and there's some times where we just fell flat on our face and it wasn't working very well but we we went for it and it was awesome and uh and that's I think that's the message in the story of what what I've created with a gym in that yeah it is an evolution but if you see something, you see the vision, like it's been so freaking worth it. This whole journey of empower conditioning, the, the inception of it, the, the building, the, you know, we've just kind of come to the sale of this building, but the evolution of it, it's, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Yeah. The timing is absolutely spot on to be talking about this as we close the deal officially this week. And Kari, I'm going to stop here for a second. And on behalf of, all of the athletes who have ever walked through the doors of Empower Conditioning, many of whom, many of whom do not know the story that you just told and where it came from and that was all you, all by yourself as a single mom. There's been thousands of them. You've had thousands of clients. And on behalf of all of them, I want to say thank you for making change, taking the risk and putting in the work. You mentioned... 20 minutes ago about the exhaustion and you ran yourself into the ground, keeping that building open, keeping the lights on and doing all the things for everybody to give them the best chance for them to reach their goals. And again, a lot of people don't know the sacrifice you made for them to have. So on behalf of those who know, and those who don't, again, thank you. And power conditioning is something special and always will be. Thank you, honey. You're Thank welcome. you for putting up with it. me along the way. <laughs> well, there you go. So now you have to pick a number. We're going to shift gears here. It's the book of questions to wrap up. Yeah. Um, Let's have a number. Um, Is there an empower conditioning number that's significant that perhaps we could choose? Let's try 92. Is that significant? Kind of. <laughs> this is great. 
Oh, gosh. Is there something you've dreamed of doing for a long time since, say, 1999? Oh, my gosh. Why haven't you done it? Okay. You've already answered the question. Okay. No, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you. Well, yeah, I'll tell you why. I Because I, I've wanted to act on it a long time prior. Originally, I didn't act on it because I didn't have money. I didn't have enough money to actually start to, to, uh, to renovate the camp. And then, um, then this light bulb moment came on to me and I was like, Oh, I got to get investors. That will be awesome. I'll get going. And then as soon as I proposed that to my dad, he was like, no, (laughs) no outside people, no outside money. No. And so that literally kiboshed it for another many years. And and then, uh, so that's why I haven't, and now what's holding me back in terms of for us having act, having like we, we just to give people perspective when, when I said exhaustion and working and you said working so hard, I was paying down the mortgage on the gym, almost double what I needed to pay. And we paid that mortgage down really fast and we we're remortgaging it and we could have put it towards, we could have put the money towards renovating the camp. And we didn't because at that point we thought we were ready, but my dad wasn't ready. And so then we ended up buying a house in Mexico and remortgaged and, and started paying down the gym again aggressively. So now we're ready again and it's a matter of him being ready. So when it comes to why haven't I, I think that those who know me closely know that I am a ridiculous action taker. Like I have to rein myself in to not take too much massive action. And uh, so I, I would have acted on this a long time ago. And the thing that holds me back is I think a good thing. And I think it teaches me a lot. And it's the thing called the relationship of my dad and respecting his wishes and going at a pace that honors um, the future of our relationship. And, uh, so that's, that's, I think when massive action can be, um, can be just slowed a little bit. (laughs) So that's the answer there. It's balancing the priorities there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for everything you shared today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in again to join us for the podcast. We have a great month coming up for you here. We've got some excellent Mindset Mondays to get your brain in gear and tuned up through the month of March and some very unique stories coming up with some guests that we've had that you may not have heard of, but you're not going to forget after you've heard their story. So stay tuned for more. You can always reach us at info at empowerconditioning.com. You can hit up Kari at Instagram at Empower Conditioning. Find us there. Find us on email. Look up the website. Give us a call. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. And freaking go for it, people. Go big. You got this. Make change. Take risk. Love it. Bye, everyone. <laughs>